Okay, we're continuing our work through the book of Joshua. We're going in chapter 10 tonight, chapter 10, working our way through maybe 11, maybe 12, see if we get that far. Um, when you read this, the scriptures, there's a lot of things that don't come right out and tell you. They expect you to sense them as you're reading them and begin to imply from them certain things. And if you recall where we have come so far, the beginning of the book, Joshua has got a million people on the other side side of the Jordan River here. And they step with the Ark of the Covenant into the river, the water stops flowing, and a million people cross over on dry land. And on the up in the hills, looking down into the Jordan Valley, the people of the area are watching. These, these newcomers coming in, and they're a little bit afraid. And then the next step is uh, Jericho. They come to Jericho, march around it six days. On the seventh day, seven times, and the walls just fall flat. And they're able to take Jericho. Next step is Ai. And then last week <coughs> we saw a group of people from a city here called Gibeon. They were actually the next ones in line uh, to be uh, on, the, on the attack route. And the people from Gibeon dressed up in old clothes and came in and said, we're from millions of miles away, but we want peace. And actually they were from the next city. And so they made a peace treaty with Joshua and the Israelites. And then they found out they're from just down the road. They're from the next city down the road. But God respected that because they saw something that these people coming across the river, they just wiped out Jericho. And uh, there's nothing going to stop them. We need to see and realize that their God is the God. And we need to get on their side. And so using deceit, they lied their way, but uh, they still were able to uh, get a deal, a peace treaty with them. And they had four cities. Four cities. There. <coughs> and so uh, there's five kings down here that got together and said we're going to attack Israel and so Joshua came down drove those people all the way down towards Hebron and he uh, had two things happen you remember what they were right God said I'll help you out and so they had a hailstorm that killed more people in a hailstorm than they did with the army so they're pursuing this army that's gathered from these five or six kingdoms, little king cities here, and they're pursuing the army, and and God says, I'll get the ones up in front for you, and so they have a hailstorm that kills people. That's got to be a pretty serious hailstorm. God says, I'll get those for you. So God got them, and when they got down into a big valley, they'd been pursuing all day and Joshua said I need the sun and the moon to stand still 
God said, okay, you got it. And he left for a whole day. Uh, the sun and the moon didn't move, and they were able to defeat these armies. So what do you got so far? Well, you got crossing the Jordan River on dry ground. You got the fall of Jericho, and with all of its big built tall walls crumbling down to nothing. And then you got a five king group, and Joshua swings down, and they got hailstones from God coming down and killing the people they're pursuing. And then God allows the sun. He says the first day ever in the history of the world, in the history of all humanity, that the sun stood still in the sky. And uh, they fought for an extra day because they had the sun there. So that's all pretty exciting. That's big stuff. And God's saying, here we go. I'm with you. You ready? Off we go. And Jericho is, is a pile of ashes. AI is a pile of ashes. And uh, now he has pursued these people down and fought with them down in the valley of Agilon and finished them up. Now we're going to pick up right where we left off. Chapter 10 of Joshua. <coughs> Chapter 10, verse number 15, where we're going to start tonight. And this is kind of unusual, and there's going to be a change. I wonder if you're able to perceive the change in the text as we read through it. See if you can figure out why this is different than what we've read so far. All right? Verse 15, Joshua returned all Israel with him to the camp to Gilgal. But these five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave at Makeda. It was told Joshua, saying, the five Kings are found hid in a cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, Roll great stones on the mouth of the cave and set men by it for to keep them. Stay you not, but pursue after your enemies and smite the hindmost of them. Suffer them not to enter in their cities, for the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hand. So the army sends back a message to Joshua. We found these five kings from these cities that organized down there against you. They're hiding in a cave. And they've got away, didn't go out into battle with the troops, but they've been hiding in a cave. He says, well, there's pile stones up there. And <laughs> bury them in the cave. Keep them in there. Keep a couple guards there. But whatever you do, don't stop. Don't stop. Pursue, he says. Uh, verse 19, and stay ye not, but pursue your enemies. So he says, I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to quit. Once you start, don't stop. We're going to get some principles here uh, by uh, Joshua. Uh, once you started, don't stop. Don't stop. If you're going to go, go. Don't stop and go. He says you need to pursue these people that are, have joined in this army. And if you leave them go and stand there by those five kings, watching them in the cave, he says they're going to all run back to their cities. So 
Don't stop. Once I get you started, don't stop. All right, let's go on. Verse 20. It came to pass when Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they were consumed that the rest which remained of them entered into fenced cities. And so there's people up on the mountainside, people who weren't in the army all around watching what's going on. And everybody who wasn't in the army, because those are all dead, uh, everybody who wasn't in the army has now run to whatever city's nearby and they locked up the gates and they are in the cities. 21. All the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. None moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. <laughs> oh, I like it when people pay attention. Next thing, it says there were no complaints. No complaints. What was the, one of the first principles about entering into the promised land? God don't like complainers. God is not interested in complaining people. He's not going to listen to it or tolerate it. And there's a whole generation buried in the sand out there because they were complainers. And God said, that's it. I am not taking any more of that. And now this group of people... They all have this battle sweeping down through. Nobody comes and says, well, you should have done this. Why didn't we do that? Nobody said nothing. They didn't complain at all. They said, we're good. We're happy. And so they're learning. It's good when people learn, isn't it? It's good when people get the point, get the point, take it in for yourself, and you'll do better. No complaining. Very good. All right, here we go. Verse 22. Then said Joshua, open the mouth of the cave. Bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. And they did so. Brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave. King of Jerusalem, king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. It came to pass when they brought out those kings to Joshua. And Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war, which went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet on the necks of them. That's an interesting thing to do. All right. Here we are. And they won the battle. They found these five kings hiding in the cave. Joshua says, bring them out, okay? And everybody, you're a commander, you're a commander, you're a commander, come up here. What do you want? Put your foot right on their neck. There they are. Got their foot on their neck. What do you think of that? See, when I was a kid, we fought all the time. See, if you could put your foot on somebody's neck, you'd do it any time. Well, yeah, you betcha. I mean, you show, I'll show you. What do you think of that? That's what we would have done when we were kids. Is it a good idea for adults? Is it a good idea for Joshua to tell his people, put your foot right on his neck? We all kind of cringe at that. <laughs> well, that's kind of that's like uh, Rambo or something, right? What is he doing? What's that got to do with anything? Well, I think to really comprehend 
what's going on, you got to think about this at this point in the text. Uh, we got to think about really God's judgment. God's judgment. The land of Canaan, where they they are uh, taken over, the land of Canaan was given. 500 years to repent, to straighten out. From Abraham's time, Abraham came into the land and he was an example to the people that were there of a godly man. And he was making sacrifices and he was praying to God and he even had God stop at his tent and say hello. And they had this example and when he left, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, God finally said, for the land of Canaan, for this piece of property here, there's a cup that's full, and it's the cup of iniquity or cup of sin. Sin, he said, I've had it with them right up to here. I have given them a chance to repent. I've given them every opportunity, and they haven't done it. And they're getting worse and worse, and it's time for judgment to come. Now, the first time God brought judgment on the world, how did he do it? He brought a flood. He told Noah, build an ark and go on the ark and preserve the human race, preserve the animal kingdom. But... Uh, Get on there because I'm going to wipe out the world with a flood. Next time we see massive judgment, it is Sodom and Gomorrah right here on the lake. There's two cities right in a row called Sodom and Gomorrah. And they turn into such an evil, violent, tremendously violent place. And they were just a horribly violent society and sex is everything in those societies and you read about it it explains it in the bible so god sent down fire and brimstone and burned those cities into not even ashes the burning was so complete there that it burned the stones and everything and they can't exactly locate where sodom and gomorrah was like they can other cities. Some of these cities we read about, they go and they dig down into the ground and they find foundations and all sorts of things. And uh, not Sodom and Gomorrah. The only place they can identify it is is there's a place that's all sulfur along the lake. And they think that might be where it was because it was burned with, they call it brimstone, or sulfur, burning sulfur, came down from heaven and burned right into the ground. So there's nothing left. So there's a God's judgment coming on this people again. And he says, a little hint, fellas. If you're going to live that way, God's not going to put up with it forever. But they did it anyway. And now uh, comes 500 years later, uh, this, these people here, I've got every evil thing going on you can think of. They know about God, but they are violently opposed to God. And when Israel comes across the river, you'd think first thing they say was, how did, how did they get that river to stop? 
Well, God must have done it. Well, how did the walls of Jericho fall? They didn't do anything at all. God did it. So if God's on our side, we better, we're in trouble. And so is anybody going to respond to that correctly? Well, we got one lady, right, in Jericho. Rahab is a prostitute. And she says to him, you're God's it. And we know he's the one. And so she's rescued out of Jericho. And then the men of Gibeon come and say the same thing. We know that your God is the God that we got nothing to help us. And so uh, God's judgment now is coming in the form of an army. It's a new way that God will operate. He's got an army here, the Israelites, and they're bringing judgment into the promised land, and they're going to destroy. And God told them, I want it all gone. I want that society wiped off the face of the earth. And so they're killing everybody, men, women, children, all goes. Everything goes so that society will cease to exist. I don't want anything. Warning, warning, right? Cease to exist. All right. So now the army that Joshua is leading is the instrument of judgment for the Lord. And that's their job is to bring God's judgment on. And through the Bible, uh, and we believe in a God of love, and we should, but there's a lot of things in the Bible about the other side of God, the God of judgment. Look at Psalms uh, chapter 2. We'll look at a couple of these things. So you get an idea when they got their foot on the neck of them king, there's an attitude. There's an attitude. And let's see what it is. Psalm chapter 2. Here's a good picture of what happened. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Who's the heathen? Heathen are the people in Canaan that are fighting. Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So Israel's coming in and the people in these cities in the promised land, the Canaanites say, huh, we'll get rid of you. We're going to break your bands. We're going to cast you out. We're going to get rid of you. Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. There you go. God's looking down. <laughs> you pitiful little things. You're not going to get away from judgment when I have pronounced it on you and I have given you many opportunities. The Lord shall have them in derision and he shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten me, ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy uh, possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. So 
to these people, he got their foot on the neck. You get, trying to get the point. As God said, this is the end. I've, I'm using you as an instrument of judgment. And so make sure you get it. Now look over at Psalm 8. Just a couple pages over Psalm 8. Verse 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, talking about Jesus, crowned him with glory and honor, made him have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things where? Under his feet. And so the picture of God is he's the one that has got you under his foot. He got you under his foot. And he's stepping on you saying, everybody is coming under my feet. So Joshua, well, maybe that's more the way God is than you think. Now let's turn to Colossians chapter 2 in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Talking about Jesus here. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So on the cross, there was rules against us ordinances, laws that we had broken. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. These laws that we had broken. And he says, he took that out of the way, nailed it to his cross, verse 15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in his cross. Or that when Jesus died on the cross, as soon as his spirit was released from his body, he went on the warpath. And it says here he went on the warpath and he destroyed principalities and powers, that is, the powers of darkness that were arrayed against him. He destroyed them. And then it says he made a show of it openly. And if you were going to describe that in words like it was actually written, it would be like if you shoot a woodchuck and you nail him on the fence pulse. So everybody walked by and said, he's dead. They got him. That one didn't escape. And so Jesus says, made a show of it openly, or that is, he hung them up and said, there. I want everybody to see what I did. Jesus did that. Because he's destroying the powers of darkness that were arrayed against him at his crucifixion. And if you thought they got him, didn't you? <laughs> he thought they got him. He died. And, oh no. Oh no. He turned around and single handedly moved his way across the universe and took the forces of darkness and he said, put them on display. Made a show of it openly. And throughout the powers of darkness in that kingdom, there were people who were on display being beaten seriously 
by Jesus. Let's keep going, shall we? Revelations chapter 19. Revelations chapter 19. Verse 15, talking about Jesus again. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So when he comes back to earth, he's going to do that again. All right. He's going to tread the winepress of the fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. That is, he will have revenge on the people who have rebelled. That, of course, is the forces of Antichrist. Forces of Antichrist have joined together, and they're moving on Jerusalem uh, to wipe it out. And Jesus returns, and he says... I'm going to show you what my anger is against sinners. And he will pour it out on the forces of darkness there. So when Joshua's got these guys standing with their foot on the neck of the king, that's how it goes. You defy God, that's how it goes. There's no quarter for people who will defy God and say, I don't need God, I don't want God, whatever you say. It's always been that way from the flood to Sodom and Gomorrah to the people of the Canaanites under Joshua. It came on the cross with Jesus Christ. And then it goes into the end of time when the last rebellion is put down forever. And there is no more after that. It's all, look, God's not going to have it. You're going to rebel against God. There's a price you're going to pay. Hang on to your hat because it's a serious price. You're going to pay that price. So um, there's God uh, saying to the people through Joshua, put your foot on the neck. Now I want you to think about this. Why right here? Right now. So my question, why have they got their foot on the neck right here at this moment? Right now. Alright. Let's read on a little. See if we can't come to it. <clears throat> Back in Joshua 10. Verse 25, Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. So, they have moved through, taken seven city-states, seven major cities from uh, Jericho to Ai, they moved right around down to Hebron and Jerusalem, and they've taken seven major cities. Put your foot on a neck and know this. God said you're going to do that to all of them. All of them. Well, think about it now. Think about it. Verse 26. 
Afterwards, Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees. They were hanging on the tree until the evening. So the five kings pull out of the cave, put your foot on our neck. You all got the message? All right, so we'll kill him with a sword and we'll hang him on five trees. Hanging on the trees, already dead, hanging on the trees. And uh, verse 27, it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, they took them off the trees, cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid, laid great stone on the cave's mouth, which remained until this very day. So they put a huge pile of stones in there, the dead bodies are in there, and there it is. And everybody walks by, there's a big, huge stones in front of the cave. We know who's in there. We know what happened to those guys. They defied the God of Israel, and that's what happened. Now, we're going to skip kind of down through here because I want you to think about this. I want you to tell me what's different, something very different. How is this text different from what we've had so far? All right, so verse 28. That day Joshua took Makeda smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof, he utterly destroyed them, and all the souls there were in. He let none remain, and did to the king of Makeda as he did to the king of Jericho. So here's the city right on that loop. Got that one. Wiped them out. Verse 29. Joshua passed from Makeda, and all Israel fought with, uh, with him unto Libna, and fought against Libna. And going to do the same thing there. Wipe out the whole population. Verse 31. Joshua passed from Libna, all Israel with him to Lachish, camped against it, fought against it, and the Lord delivered Lachish into the cannon of Israel, which took it on the second day mowed it with the edge of the sword, and all the souls that were in, according to all he had done in Libna. So he's on the third city now, wiping them out. It's the first two or one day. It's the second day. He's moved on to the next one, uh, verse 33. Horam, the king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua smote him and his people till he had none remaining. So another city which wasn't in the original attack Comes up and says, we're helping our friends. Bring them on. <laughs> They're all wiped out. All right. That's the little extra one we threw in just for fun. Verse 34. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon. And all Israel compass, all Israel with them, they encamped against it and fought against it. Took it on that day, smote it with the edge of the sword. And all the souls therein were utterly destroyed. And then verse 36. Joshua went from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron. And they fought against it. They're going to do the same thing in Hebron. Verse 38. Joshua turned all Israel with him to Deber and fought against it. Took it. And the king thereof and all the cities thereof they smote with the edge of the sword. And then (coughs) verse 40. Joshua smote all the country of the hills of the south, the vale, the springs, all their kings, left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel commanded. Then Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea even to Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even unto Gibeon. And so he swings down across here on those five nations that had come against him. He destroyed their army first, and then he goes from one city to the next, actually six of them down through 
to Hebron, and then he comes, let's go this way, he goes all the way to the Mediterranean Sea and gets Gaza, and there's a couple of cities across here, and he wipes all them out, and so he now has conquered the entire southern part of Israel in about five or six days. Now, why was it different? What's different about the text? Something stands out, glares out at you. It's different. Do you see what's different? Well, I'll help you out. Came to Jericho, what happened? God knocked the walls over. Right. And he's chasing his five nation army, and God did hailstones. And then he gets to the valley where there's the final standoff, and God stops the sun and the moon. And so God brought them across the Jordan River, and God brought down Jericho, and God brought down the five armies with hailstones and uh, making the sun and the moon stand still. Now, what did God do for all the next of them? You don't see God. It didn't say God tore the walls down, did it? didn't say God brought hailstones. It didn't say any of that. It said... He went and he wiped out this city and this city and that city and he made a sweep and then he came all the way out to the Mediterranean Sea, made another sweep. Now he conquered the entire thing. Did he do it without God's help? So how did God help? He certainly gave his men courage. Why do you think he's got their foot on the neck? See? How's it feel? <laughs> Pretty good. This is a king who was defying us, and I got my foot on his neck. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm telling you, says Joshua, the reason I have your foot on his neck is you know they're going to do that to every other king out there. Okay, let's go do it. We get to the first city. What are you going to do? Well, you got to fight your way in. you got to kill everybody in there and move on to the next one. Now there's no more miraculous things going on. It's you going from one to the next to the next to the next to the next. And a lot of times, the way that God behaves is exactly like this. He'll begin something with a flurry of amazing things. Look at when they're in Egypt, right? All the ten plagues and they cross the, the Red Sea. It's an amazing bunch of miracles. And then they wander in the desert for 40 years. <laughs> Or let's go to a time we're pretty familiar with, Jesus Christ. How many miracles did he do? 
We don't know because the record says that if you wrote down everything he did, there's not enough books in the world. We do know that he walked into a crowd of 5,000 and healed everybody in the crowd and then preached. I mean, you can count all the miracles that Jesus did. There was a multitude of them. When he's bringing this to begin, when Jesus comes, I'm here, what? Thy kingdom come. I'm here to set up my kingdom. And it's filled with miracles. Every time you turn around, there's a miracle. Then go to the book of Acts. There's some miracles there, but nothing like Jesus did. And then you go a little bit farther, and they're gone. The miracles are gone. What does God expect of us? He's going to help us. He's going to get us going good. So put your foot on the neck so that you get the feeling. I mean business. I'm going to help you. How does he actually help them? Well, how he helps them is that these people are afraid, terrified, and can't have courage to fight. So they can go right into the city, wipe everybody up, on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. Keep going, keep going, keep going. They're trying to get the idea that we can start out with miracles so that you say in your mind, I know what God can do. I was at Jericho when we marched around the walls fell down. I know God can do it. And God said, well, I'm still with you. But I'm not going to walk, knock the walls down for you. You've got to go in yourself and do it. And so it is in our Christian experience. A lot of times when God's doing something, he starts in a flurry. And then he says, now you do it. I'm still here. I'm still doing things that you may not even see or know. But I expect you to have the discipline. To be able to look and say, my God did that at Jericho. And we walked across the Jordan River on dry ground. And the sun and the moon stood still in the Valley of Agilon. So if I got him, I'm just going to keep going. Once you start, don't stop. Very true in the experience that we had in this building right here. We started out in 1989. So we're going to buy this building, see what happens, see if we can work on it. And we really had to trust God because we really didn't have anybody who knew how to do anything. <laughs> we had a few people that were hardworking people that would do anything you want. But if you said build a wall, they'd say, what? They didn't know how. And so God brought people one after the other after the other. Uh, the, the inspector came first, came walking in the door. His name was Joel Chalet. He said, Mr. Olsen, what are you doing? We're going to open it up as a church again. He said, you're going to do that? Really? Because it was rough. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's what we want to do. He said, well, I'm going to help you. I'm going to bend all the rules, and I'm going to make this and that. We're going to make it so you can do this job. And there was 300 pallets stacked up outside back there. 
all full of rats. And he said, I got a question for you. I said, what? He said, well, what are you going to do with all them pallets? <laughs> I said, I don't know. He said, there's an old dump right over there. I'll give you the key. You haul them over there and throw them in the old dump. Hasn't been used for years, he said, but here's the key. Get rid of them pallets and I'll help you every way I can. And so we had a helper. And the first sun Saturday we were here working full time. I was outside there and a guy pulled in in a truck, pulled up the hill. He said, hey, Eric, somebody that I'd known for a long time, Dave Nice. He said, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, we're going to fix the church up. Well, your driveway's a big muddy hole. I, I know. So never mind, I'll go haul stone all day for you. And he went and hauled stone all day. Just drove in up the, up the, off he went. He hauled stone all day. That was just the beginning of it. I went, had electrical specter come. He said, you got a lot of work to do. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Nothing works. Electric was all old junk. And so he said, you're going to have to rewire the whole place. Of course, I got no electricians. Okay, all right, we'll do that. I went home. My father said, tell me what the inspector said. And I walked down, and sitting on his porch is his friend, who was, the inspe was an electrician. And he said, well, we got to rewire the whole place. And his friend said, don't worry about that. I'll do that. That was Howie Coble. He wired the whole place. And, of course, we had plumbing, and we got here, but it was just a two-holer in the back. That's all the plumbing we had, you know. Got to have plumbing. An old friend of mine, Fuddy Eddie, said, yeah, don't worry about it. I got the plumbing. I got the plumbing. And, uh, of course, we didn't have any money. And so uh, I got a letter in the mail. My wife said, you got a letter from Justin Roberts. See his name on that window up there. And it looks like a check for $100. And I got home and I opened it up and it was a check for $1,000. And I went to thank him. And he said, well, you thought I'd give that to you because you came Carolyn, but I sent it out before you got here. <laughs> <laughs> and I got another check for $1,000 from a church uh, in Batavia. They gave me $1,000. $2,000 was like a million to us when you're trying to work and get things done. God just kept doing it over and over and over and over again. And he sent us Wally. There was a guy who walked in one day, just got out of prison. He walked in, walked around with me, and he said, so, needs a lot of work. I said, yep. So how much you get paid? I said, I'll give you the same as I get. He says, nothing, right? I said, yep. So I'll be here next week. And he was the foreman of a construction crew in Lockport. He'd come and he'd say, next week I'm bringing a bulldozer. And next week he'd bring a bulldozer. He said, you need scaffolding. Next week I'll bring scaffolding. Bring scaffolding. So we got to hang drywall up there. And so we hung the drywall. He says, we got to get that pl plaster. He said, don't worry, I got it. And he'd bring somebody and plaster. Guy was drunk out of his mind. And he was walking on stilts up the stairs. I said, you're going to die. Nah, he was fine. He walked around, plastered everything so fast. And i never seen anything like it. 
But God said, I'll help you in the beginning, get you going. We'll fix your plumbing, we'll fix your electric, we'll fix your, your shortage of all the things you don't have. We'll supply money for you, and we'll turn the inspector into your best friend. And even people driving by will stop and fix your driveway. And it was amazing. It was amazing. The first eight months, I never lived like that in my whole life. Where God said, I'm here. Come on, I'll help you. You ready? Here, let's go. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. And it was, it was stunning after a while. But when that eight months was over, I said, there's nothing we cannot do. There's nothing that we cannot do. We got God on our side. No, people didn't come anymore after that and say, oh, I'm going to do all the work for you. No, we got to do the work. See? We got to fix what needs to be fixed, and we got to build what needs to be built, and we got to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Because that's kind of how God works. He says, Here, let me show you what I can do, and I'll help you get you started. And now it's up to you. And Joshua, it's up to you now. It's your men now are going to go from city to city to city, and you're going to wipe out Canaan. So, uh, no complaints, right? No, no complaints. Once you start, though, don't stop. Don't stop. You had your foot on that man's neck to tell you what? That God is over all. And I want you to feel it right from your head down to your foot on his neck. I want you to know that God is over all. And so, are you ready? Let's go. Verses chapter 11. Came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazar, heard of those things, he sent to Joab, king of Madon, the king of Shimron, the king of Asaph, and said to the kings that were in the north of the mountains, and the plains of the Chenaroth, and in the valley, and the borders of Dor on the west, to the Canaanite on the east and the west, the Amorite, Hittite, Perizzite, Jebusite in the mountains, to the Hevite under the Hermon. a lot of people. Verse 4, and they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand and the sea and the multitudes, with horses and chariots, very many. And these kings met together, and they came and pitched together in the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Now, up here, way up north of the Sea of Galilee, in the city called Hazar. And Hazar is the main city of the northern part of Israel. Now Joshua has taken everything in the south, but there's a lot of ground up here, which we call Galilee, all right, where Jesus grew up. And there's cities, and he calls out to everybody. He says, hey, you guys, let's all get together. Everything you got, let's bring it. We're going to fight against these people. We're going to fight. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many people came. But there's an author named Josephus, and Josephus was a historian, wrote about the history of Israel, and a lot of what is in the Bible he retells. And when he tells this story, he said there were 300,000 footmen that came with the king of Hazar, 300,000 footmen, and he said there was 30,000 horses and chariots. 
That's a considerable army. Horses and chariots, 30,000. That's a considerable army. But there's something about it. (laughs) What's this guy been thinking? When a million people crossed over the river on dry ground, why didn't he say, they're coming? Yeah, he just kind of sat there. When the walls of Jericho fell, why didn't he say, look at that? We got to do something. But he didn't. And finally, one of these cities here, where he was friends with the king, he said, hey, that city fell. I guess we better do something. He's behind the eight ball. Why? Because he doesn't think that the judgment of God can possibly have anything to do with him. He doesn't see the urgency of it. So he's just kind of hanging around waiting. And then when the whole southern uh, land of the promised land is all taken by Joshua, says, guess we better do something. Isn't that the sinner, perfect picture of the sinner? That's okay. We don't have to do nothing. I can wait. I I never forget the story. I did a funeral for a guy and his wife said to me, for the last six months of his life, he sat and looked out the window at the woods every day. Why did he do that? just waiting to die. He sat there six months every day and I said to myself, call somebody. Do something. Say to a preacher or call a guy on the TV, do something, but don't just sit there and look out the window until you're dead. But that is the nature of sin is that it makes us unresponsive to what's going on. And the judgment of God, which was clear, right? The entire southern part is gone. In a few days, he marched through it and wiped it all out. And you'd think, alarm, alarm, alarm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess probably, well, we'll beat him, no big deal. (laughs) Verse 6, And the Lord said to Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver them all slain before Israel. I shall hock their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Of course, the scariest thing is 30,000 chariots. And you're on foot. Right? God's the don't. We're going to have a big bonfire. (laughs) You're going to hock the horses. That means when you get these horses, you're going to take a little knife and and cut the tendon in the back of their leg so they'll never pull another chariot. Seven. So Joshua came with all the people of war with him against him by the waters of Merarah. Suddenly they fell upon them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who smote them, chased them unto great Zidon, unto Mizpah, so forth, the valley of Mizpah eastward, smote them until they left none remaining. And Joshua did it as the Lord bade him. He hocked the horses, burned their chariots with fire. 
And at that time Joshua turned back, took Hazar, smote the king thereof with a sword. For Hazar before was the head of all those kingdoms. They smote all the souls that were in the, with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. Not any left to breathe, and he burnt Hazar with fire. So he goes up to this city that had been the center of this rebellion, burns that, wipes it out, because there's nothing left. All the horses are hot, that means they're just limp the rest of their life, and the chariots was a great big bonfire, and they burned them all. Why not keep them? You think you need them when you got God on your side? They don't need them. God said, you don't need that. I'm with you. What did he say? You're going to take them all tomorrow. So don't be afraid. And Joshua says, okay, let's go. We're going to do a sneak attack. And he walked in on them, took them by surprise, and wiped this 30,000, or 300,000, 30, 330,000 army out. Uh, and chased them, he said. Uh, there was a city here called Dor, and he went all the way to Sidon, which is up here. And so he just wiped out all the north. They're all done. Now, look at chapter 12. Verse 7. These are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side of the Jordan from the west to Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Haluk goes up to Seir where Joshua gave the tribes of Israel for a possession according to their division. In the mountains, in the valleys, in the plains, in the springs, and in the wilderness, in the south country, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And then he's going to list them. Right? Down through till verse 24, the king of Terza won all kings 30 and 1. And so, this entire endeavor, the southern part, which happened in a short time, and the northern part, which took a long time, because they're traveling much longer distances on foot, right? it took a long time. But when he's done, there's 31 kings and their kingdoms and their cities, they're all wiped out. No population, nothing, nobody left. Ta-da! It's the promised land. They've taken it all. All right, now, there's a few flies flying around. And that's where we go next, to get the little flies that got away. He's going to talk about God's going to go over with him a list. He says, well, there's somebody over here, somebody there. There's a couple people over here. We want to get them. And God's going to make a list for him. Because if you're, you can understand that if you're walk, marching through with an army, there's going to be people somewhere that are running away and hiding and living in caves and going in the woods and in some of the deepest woods the deepest woods there was was south of Jerusalem where David hid a lot of times and you'll find some real characters hiding down there. But that's next week as God takes care of the little extras <laughs> and cleans up the mess. But it took a long time. The south 
campaign, a couple of weeks and they're done, all right? The North campaign, it says it took a long time for them to go through and do the chapter 11 is verse 18. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city made peace with the children of Israel, save Gibeon. The only ones that made a deal was men of Gideon. The rest of them defied God, said we are not going to fall under the judgment of God. But God had his foot on their neck. And now thousands and thousands are dead. And 31 kingdoms, these are small kingdoms, but 31 kingdoms have come and fallen under Joshua's sword. God helped him with Jericho. God helped him with the hailstones and the sun and the moon. With the rest, they'd pull up your shoes and let's go. Here we go. And off they went. It's a lesson for us. Once you start, don't stop. Don't complain. Keep going and God will help you. He'll get you through. But it is a wrong place to be when you're on God's judgment list. And you don't want to be there. Sometimes I look at people and I think to myself, man, I wouldn't want to be them when you got to stand in front of God. Wow. I hardly want to be me when I stand before God. But I know there's some people, wow, defiant against God, get you nowhere. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine the vain things? And they say, let us get rid of God and throw their bands asunder. He that sitteth in the heavens will laugh. God will not be confounded by that. Next week, we'll go on. Thank you. <laughs>